0: All right, we're back. Another episode of the Royal Urban Mobile Podcast from Shibuya, Tokyo. I'm Cliff.
1: Chocolate Buddha in the house. We're back out here in the Mobile Man Cave. Old school vintage 99 Chevy van here in the streets of Japan. Enjoying the beautiful scenery around us in our second home, Shibuya. Or oh, is my, my skibby. G Chan Homie says Shibooty shabooty <laughs>
0: You know we got a really dope van right Full our of artwork and everything
1: you know setting the mood
0: Yeah our, our guest today um he, he took some dope shots just before we started dope recording shots, and uh um, yeah. yeah we're going to be going to put those up on the work. social media so you can see how this you know check out the ambiance right But uh, yeah we're back um For new listeners, welcome. And uh, we are a podcast that focuses on the international community here in Tokyo. Okay, that also includes Japanese people as well. So we, you know, occasionally have Japanese on to talk about different topics. And yeah, if if you want to learn about what's really going on in in, an international community in Tokyo, check us out. Because you won't get this on Japanese... Mainstream TV. Ain't no sushi temples and shrines and shit in this motherfucker. All right, we're going to let our guest introduce himself.
2: Hello, everyone. This is Ed Thompson, originally from Dallas, Texas, now here in Tokyo, Japan, working uh, as a marketing consultant. I run a company, a marketing boutique called Concept Design. And the main thing about it is we help businesses design their concepts. When did we first meet?
0: I, I want to say it was Speakeasy.
2: Uh, it could have been Speakeasy. Yeah. Um, Shout
0: out to Brooklyn Terry and DJ Sarasa.
2: I think they're actually having an event later today. Uh, they are. In yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: Today. Yeah. yeah. First of the first Sunday of the month.
2: Yeah. And that's part of the, uh, the global hip hop culture that, you know, it's easy to access while over here in Japan, right?
0: Yeah. Speakeasy is, is a dance event, right? A uh, monthly dance event, hip hop, reggae. They do it all, right? So um, it's the dopest in Tokyo. So check that out. Yeah. So we're gonna talk with Ed about a variety of things today. So um, first, I just wanna want you to tell us a little bit about your journey here.
2: It's your global Japan fam, Daisha, and you are listening to the Raw Urban Mobile Podcast from my favorite corner in the world, Shibuya, Tokyo, Japan. Uh, Well, I originally, uh, as I said, I'm from uh, Dallas, Texas. And so uh, from being born in Dallas, I uh, actually went to the University of uh, Texas at Austin, And after spending several years there, I uh, happened to uh, always uh, take, say, Japanese language uh, classes. I was a math major, but I was always taking these Japanese uh, language classes. And uh, there came an opportunity to uh, study abroad for, say, one year. And I wound up in Katsura, Chiba. Uh, most people would not know where that is, but Katsura <laughs> uh, City is on the coast. It is basically a uh, fishing town or village, as uh, some people are keen to say. And I spent basically a year there uh, at a university called uh, International Martial Arts University, Kokusai Budo Daigaku. And uh, it was a very interesting experience. The culture was, of course, very different. The uh, lifestyle, even as a student, was very different. But, I remember that the people weren't wonderful and uh, the food. It was my first time to actually really have uh, Japanese food say sushi, sashimi, other types of uh, different types of uh, home, Uh, made meals, et cetera, you know, by my host families. And uh, it was quite eye-opening. And uh, so as uh, a—even though I was born in Dallas, my parents are basically, say, uh, country people from, say, eastern Texas, Jefferson, Texas, et cetera. And so it was very nostalgic at the same time because it's country life. And this is the thing I think a lot of people don't get about uh, Japan— that agrarian culture is what you will read about in te- in textbooks, but that's basically country culture. If you're used to country culture, then you pretty much understand how Japan works. And um, as people will say, it's a hierarchical society, et cetera. Well, country culture is the same way. You listen to your grandparents. If you have an older cousin who has been sent to watch you, you listen to your older cousin. And these are kind of universal human constants. It doesn't take a lot to think about if you're very just familiar with how these things work. In I say most in, in most communities worldwide, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's a very um, kind of academic thing to kind of uh, come along and say, wow, Japanese culture is uh, so unique. Well, yes and no. The overall underpinnings for a lot of things in Japanese culture are basically country culture. Keep your mouth shut when grown folk are talking. <laughs> that's the first rule. Yeah. Okay. And if you're not up to the level where you're a grown folk, then that's it. Yes. Okay. That, yeah. that That's the only rule. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that, that was my overall impression, uh, say, coming here to Japan. And so I came as an exchange student for a year went back to Texas, wound up graduating and uh then wind up coming back under the uh Jet program. I'm sure you had lots of people uh who have been on your show who have been part of say the Jet program and so
0: You know what? That's now that you bring that up, I'm not sure. I I don't I, I maybe we've had a few, but uh we haven't really talked about the Jet program, but uh we can definitely do that in the future. I can I, I know some people who are a part of JET right now. I want to go back
1: a little bit. As you said, you were studying Japanese when you were in college before you even stepped foot in Japan.
2: What made you pick Japanese? Well, actually, I was studying Japanese before college. Believe it or not, in uh, Dallas, Texas, um, I was able to take Japanese at, at one of my high school's. And uh, so I was uh, in a uh, program, uh, the Texas Academy of Math and Science, which was actually a high school that was placed at the University of North Texas. Because it's at the University of North Texas, you had access to the full catalog of university courses. And I wound up uh, taking Japanese there. Why did I choose Japanese? Uh, It wasn't really a burning interest in, say, Japanese culture or whatnot. Uh, I'm in Texas, and as an elective, I have a choice of Spanish, French, German uh, languages that I can take as electives. They also happen to have uh, Japanese, uh, which was pretty eclectic, and they also had uh, Chinese available. And uh, Chinese was a bridge too far. I did not know enough about China, but I had heard enough about Japan. And I definitely knew that I'd never speak, say, French or German in my life. And so I decided to speak uh, to uh, choose another elective that I also would never speak in my life, which was Japanese. So from high school, I continued to take these programs into college. And uh, even though I was a math major, eventually I had more Japanese credits than math credits because I'd taken it for so long. And that wound up being uh, part of the foundation of my connection here with Japan.
0: So basically what you're saying is you like Japanese girls and that's
2: I wouldn't. <laughs> I,
0: wouldn't no, I'm, I wouldn't. I'm, I'm I wouldn't, teasing you. I'm teasing. You. I wouldn't go that far. But but I
2: think I think when you when you uh, get into like say a lot of the reasons that uh, say people want to come to Japan, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you'll wind up with some general categories. It's martial arts, or you've been here once. Um, you know, it's anime. Like, it's anime, or it could be the girls, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But when you when when I came here and I was just experiencing it, I think the the biggest thing was, hey, it's not Dallas. Yeah. yeah. It's not Dallas. I I I, managed, I I escaped the Rubicon. Gotcha. And and so I wound up here in Japan. And uh, then once you wind up in Japan, of course, you're going to live. You're going to have like uh, you're going to make friends, you're going to have all the different relationships and uh, everything that comes along with that. And uh, on that note, the thing that I think that, like, uh, keeps a lot of people here in Japan is uh, when you talk about the relationships, uh, for me, it's about subculture. And so Japan has really deep, um, substantial subculture here. Hip-hop subculture is here. We were talking about, uh, say, the speakeasy a little bit earlier. But I know different people who have been able to carve out um, uh, certain uh, levels of success within certain types of subculture. And you can, even have, you can even view, say, professional activities as a type of subculture. You can also view uh, social activities, whether it's dance, music, lifestyle. A lot of the things that keep people going, um, I think, especially in the global community, you have some people who are living to work, and it's all about uh, where they're going as a professional, etc. But you have other people who are working to live. And so in the context of Japan, you have people who are, say, working to live. And where they live are these very unique and rich subcultures people wind up wind up falling into. And that gives them drives. I know these guys with a van go around doing podcasts in Tokyo. And it's the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life. I know, life. <laughs> really. Yeah, I'm
0: telling you, man. <laughs> and they interview all you types of people. That. Yeah.
2: Exactly. <laughs> What's the name of that podcast again? Uh, Raw, Raw urban mobile podcast. There you go. Is that it?
0: There you go. You're absolutely right. And there's a lot of stuff you can get into here. Uh, you know, sometimes I meet people and I, and I say, yeah, uh, you know, Japan is Japan. You know, they have their, as Buddha always say, Sem- sushi temples and shrines and shit. There's a lot of subcultures that you can get into here, and I'm I'm finding out about stuff all the time. Like recently, I found out there's some there's a witchcraft community here. Right. But uh, yeah, you're right. You right.
1: You know, everything you find here, you know, every which way you look around, there's something happening here. But going back. All right, so when you were taking all this Japanese in college, right. My mind's kind of brewing here. So where you was it, a Japanese community to
2: speak with during that time? Uh, there were. So in Austin, Texas, there was actually a substantial exchange community of, say, uh, Japanese people abroad. A lot of people, if you're American, you might just assume that, say, uh, many Japanese people wind up in California, which they do. In but New York. In New York. But there are actually a lot of places spread out in the country uh, where Japanese uh, students wind up going. And a lot of it has to do with the uh, recruitment efforts of these uh, universities University of Wyoming, Nebraska, the Midwest, and among those uh texas and so austin texas there were a lot of students who would come japanese students who would go to uh, language schools and the pro the progress was go to a language school for a few years uh maybe even two or three years then go to a community college for say one or two years and then transfer to the university of texas and uh complete your degree there and then come back home so
0: after doing the whole college thing here what was your your um
2: Well, I think when you're young, the main thing that most people are looking for is something that will give them a leg up on the next thing. And most people don't know what that next thing is. Uh, You're young. uh, The world is wide open. At a moment, I thought, maybe I'll go to China. Maybe I'll go to Europe. And you're just looking for something that will give you, especially as you've started working as a professional, When you leave life as a student and you're trying to figure out how the world works, the thing that most people immediately realize is that they've been lied to. And nothing is as it seems. Great. I graduated. I got this job. This job is not like what I thought it would be. I was a coordinator for international relations, which basically means that you're working in a government office. Okay. Government offices anywhere in the world are very unique. You don't really understand how unique until you have had to deal with the bureaucracy. And the bureaucracy, that is a capital B, by the way, (laughs) the bureaucracy anywhere in the world is basically a black box. And it's full of rules and regulations. And these are on top of, like, what you would have in, say, the private sector. And so everything that I was talking about when you were asking about, well, what was it like, you know, interacting with, say, the greater Japanese community in Texas and trying to figure things out. And I was and I was talking about, say, um, how you don't necessarily have the right language to understand the social cues and what else is going on. And so after working on the uh, JET program, I was there for, say, uh, three years. Years. After that, I wound up uh, switching uh, to say the world of uh, advertising and uh, marketing. And in switching to the world of advertising and marketing, again, it's a different uh, set of uh, rules and uh, type of ways that say people interact with each other. But it has one big advantage to it. It's not the bureaucracy, it's the private sector capital p capital s gotcha. it's the private sector and so the private sector is a little bit more dynamic and the rules that govern your behavior and what you can and cannot do are a lot or a lot wider and so there are different types of things and so once i was in the private sector and once i was doing advertising i kind of felt comfortable
0: gotcha how, how did you go about doing that going from jet to the private sector
2: well uh a in a, lot a foreign
0: of, country in japan
2: A lot of that, and this is what a lot of people will sometimes uh, struggle with, but it's uh, weak connections, what we we like to call weak connections. Uh, Your strong connections might be the college that you came from, but... Um, The college that you came from, the city that you came from, your family, et cetera. However, uh, those things are not necessarily the strongest in certain types of context. And so when you're halfway around the world basically by yourself Mm -hmm. and you're trying to figure out what to do next, the key thing um, for most people, you have to meet people and you have to talk to people. One key thing that you can do, and I've discussed this before when I've given presentations on, say, personal branding, etc. at any given time, you are definitely a certain type of person. And as a certain type of person or a certain type of individuals, you have some things that you need. These things that you need, you can ask for, and, but you have to figure out how to ask for them. There are ways to ask for them that are effective, and there are ways to ask for them that are incredibly ineffective. You're always selling yourself. These are aspects of, say, personal selling, but they're also basically about being who you are and what it is that you want to do. And you need to have an ask ready. And so how did I move from, say, private sector uh, to—pardon me. How did I move from, say, uh, the bureaucracy, government, to, say, the private sector? Uh, basically, some friends helped me out. There is there is no fancier way to say that. A friend basically told me, well, there's this company and they seem to have an opening. Well, why don't you go? Mm. And when you are younger at certain levels, and this is a thing about at, at certain age levels or experience levels, etc., there is no reason to turn down certain offers. This is the other type of thing that, like, say some people will miss out. They will hold out for the perfect thing. And you have to keep in your mind, never let great be the enemy of good. And you want to be able to look at something and and understand, well, this is not perfect, but is it good enough? Good enough to keep me going to the next level. And so those that The ability to view things with that type of viewpoint is incredibly important. And a lot of people wind up uh, missing out on that. And you can still succeed, but it might be a lot harder.
0: Yeah, there especially are, in a foreign country.
2: Especially in a foreign country. And so, again, I want to emphasize to people, you always need to have an ask. But there's a methodology to knowing what to ask for. And
0: I'm assuming you're going to.
2: Well, if you ask, I might tell you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now,
1: going going back a little bit about going from the um, going from the jet program to the private sector, is it a cultural difference? Or the, you know, like let's say the different culture be a part of that barrier too. And as far as how Japanese do things, even though you may be going to a, a private company. That does the same thing they do in the States. But is there the cultural
0: differences that about the be culture of government versus private oh, sector, no, not
1: not not government, even private sector here in Japan and private sector in the States. But you're going into the private sector, even though you have the language skills and everything like that.
2: But are there the cultural barriers you have to deal with? Uh, there are all sorts of interesting things that uh go on with that one of the interesting things about the bureaucracy in Japan is uh once you are in say a city hall a government agency etc and and uh, as somebody who comes from say uh, the USA or maybe even um maybe you're uh certain european countries are a little bit different etc but nobody ever gets fired in Japanese government. Nobody. There is almost no mistake that you can make that will ever get you fired. Um, people rarely will resign. Every once in a while you'll see something about resignations on TV, etc. But those are outliers. Those are not common things. There are all sort because humans, here's the other thing about uh, being abroad, being professionals, being here... In the mobile podcast, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's all about humanity. It's a, you're yes. dealing with people. Okay. People will make mistakes. People in Japan make the same mistakes as anywhere else. In the States, they'll get you fired. In Japan, it doesn't. Okay. <laughs> and uh, so bureaucracy in Japan has that one very unique type of thing. However, with older, larger Japanese companies, that's also kind of true as well. You will never get fired. Mm-hmm. Um, all, it, it takes really extreme cases um, of like say personal responsibility or liability for somebody to get run out of a country, a uh, company to get fired. And so when you're asking about, well, what is the difference between, like, say, the culture between the bureaucracy and, say, uh, um, the private sector, there are many things that are similar because uh, uh, still the context is you are still in Japan. But there are many things that um, wind up being uh, different. And uh, basically, the bureaucracy profit motive is not... The uh, main incentive. And so private sector profit motive usually has a larger incentive, especially uh, not at the larger uh, companies, but at the mid tier companies, the smaller companies. And so what you will wind up getting into is basically people being people. And so you're at a, comp- a small company of, say, 10 people. And so if you are a foreigner in that context and you're trying to navigate what is going on, you have a president of a company. It's a small company. It might be doing okay, but it's probably not doing extremely well. Um, they've probably brought you on to help with some aspect where your certain skill set is necessary. Could be language skills, could be technical skills, whatever. Uh, but they have the same issues as, say, uh private sector companies abroad in in other places. And so you will have to navigate that and figure out what's going on. And the key thing about that though is that you are dealing with people and everything that those people bring with them uh, in the in those cases.
0: Have you have you been the token gaijin, the token foreigner at a company?
2: Well, I don't exactly know that that really exists in Japan because I'm not sure that a lot of places actually have enough buffer to take on a token kind of implies that it's not necessary for that person to be here. If anything, say the JET program, whether mm-hmm. it's uh, the English teaching part where you're an ELT or whether it's the CIR part, co- uh, Coordinator for International Relations, those might be uh, certain examples Got of, you. say, people who were brought over um, not necessarily because they're quote unquote needed. Mm -hmm. Uh, But because if you are part of a local government and the national government actually has this program, you probably should be part of it. Yeah. And uh, so the context in the JET program, there are lots of incidences of whether it's an ELT or CIR where people were maybe not used to their uh, fullest capacity. Because yeah. the, um, the local government or organization that actually accepted you in hasn't actually figured out how to use you. Yeah. And so there are different, there are different things uh, that come into that. Are you thinking about is it something that is basically cosmetic because they just want something cosmetic to look pretty? Or have they been able to actually like figure out how to um, incorporate or integrate you into the activities so that there's more impact?
0: That's basically what I was talking about because we've we had a guest on a while 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 back, um, and I know other people who talked about they just feel like you know the company wanted to look like they were global or they were diverse, but they really weren't, and they didn't use them to to, to their full potential.
2: Oh well, uh, let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. Okay, I haven't heard that exact podcast, but I, um, I can extrapolate uh, probably on what, what type of things are going on. There are, and this is the thing, um, if you start to view certain organizations basically as people, because there are people behind these organizations, mm-hmm. they, these organizations will have the same tendencies as people, as human beings around you. And there is not a perfect human. And so probably at this company, maybe the uh, president of the company decided that internationalization was a priority, and they talked to their VP, and the VP talks to a department head, and the department head is like, hey, uh, get us some international people in here. Mm-hmm. And this gets into, like, say, one of the reasons why I'm still able to be here in Japan. One, and, and so my agency actually handles quite a wide variety of things. We do, say, a lot of, let's say, content marketing. We do social media, digital marketing. We do advertising campaigns, brand activation, etc. Underneath all of this, there are people. There are people on the client side who we have to deal with, and uh, we have to communicate with to get things done. A large part of my business actually is training staff. Okay. And so, when you have a company that say wants to act international, that's great. The president thinks that yeah, we need to be international in the future. Okay. Hey, hey, Tato, Tato. All right, you're the department <laughs> head. I need you to like put a plan together and you know get get us some staff so we can be international. And Tato turns around because Tato's busy. Yeah, he's a department head, you know, he's worked long and hard to get here. And so he like calls up he calls up like his assistant, you know, is like Jito, you know, Jito is like the (laughs) section chief. Hey, Jito. Okay, look, we we, I've got money from HR. You go hire, you know, this person and put them in place and like, let's do this. Mm -hmm. However, the this do this the this is never defined. (laughs) Okay, and the evaluation, you know, what are the measurements for evaluation, what are the standards for success, are never defined. And so then you wind up with a person who comes in. And so Jito's like, look, I got the person. What do you want me to do with them? And Toto's like, I, I don't know, uh, we'll figure it out. And and then, like, uh, the boss winds up asking, hey, Toto, so how's it going? Oh, yeah, I need to check on that. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, and, and so you wind it. And so what's happening to the person who has wound up in the section? Well, this is a typical type of story in, in that situation. Because Jiro, Jiro never, ever in his life expected to be part of an international division. Gotcha. Okay, and now he has an international person to deal with. Do you know how is going to deal with this person? As if they're Japanese. Mm. Which is natural. Yeah, which is natural. And so if you're a jet and uh, you've worked in Japanese context to a certain extent and you're able to kind of understand certain types of c- cultural cues, et cetera, in a professional environment, you might fare better than your average smoke from like yeah. who knows nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's still probably going to be hard because you have a very, very Japanese environment that you were still coming into at you have a handicap you mm-hmm. you have there are still going to be things that you don't understand and it's not necessarily because of the culture it's not necessarily because of japanese culture it's because of that company's culture gotcha these people have been working with each other for say three four five ten fifteen twenty years and you show up and you do not understand everything that they eat understand. They understand it intuitively and you're going to need to learn and it's not that easy to learn, mm-hmm. especially not in a short time frame. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Even if even if you're like you've excelled at Japanese language, there's still a lot of like you said cultural cues and
2: well, context. And now context, we're, we're, yeah. now we have a different level of context. It's about being a professional in this organization, which has probably been around for if if they are an organization that has, like, say, three levels of management, you know, say a section chief, a department chief, and then the president of the company, then the company has probably been around at least five to 10 years, if not 10 to 20 years. Mm-hmm. That is also a very special type of of cultural context that a lot of people wind up missing out. And what you need in that, you need filters. You need, you might call them mentors in a certain context, but you need filters to help you interpret what is going on in the world around you. Because there's the job, and then there's the way you do the job. Yes. <laughs> and, and and then there's the definition of how people evaluate the job. And even, say, in our home countries, there are different flavors to this. There are all sorts of, like say, TV shows, sitcoms, et cetera, on, uh, in the States, um, North America, et cetera, where people talk about these things. These same type of things exist here in the Japanese context as well, uh, but you have other layers on top of it. And that's what winds up being very interesting. So what about what about
1: people who... Are thinking about coming to Japan to start the business? What what would be uh, what advice would you give them to navigate through this cultural and this maze of whatever?
2: Uh, that's a really good question, and I think one of the things that uh, one one of the things that you're asking, also one of the things that say people should just slow down and think about first why am i going to japan why do i need to do whatever it is i'm trying to do in japan this is the first reality check and at any given time you need to be able to sit down and give yourself a reality check and this is said you know without judgment etc and the best thing for you to figure out you know uh because a lot of people uh, you become very sensitive to the judgments of people around you. Before you are judged by rea- by society and reality, go ahead and judge yourself. But hold up, hold yeah. up now, yet. Yeah. I mean, I'm
1: excited. I'm motivated, man. I, I see I see the Harajuku girls. I see the hip people wearing the hip hop stuff and doing this, that, and the other. And I wanna I wanna get a piece of that, man. I'm just hype, excited, and I wanna go go to this new country and just make a bunch of money.
2: Well, but it's never that easy. It, that, this is the eternal story of, say, the uh, country kid looking at the big city. Mm. You know, the shining the shining spot on the hill. I would love to go there and make it big. You know, uh, all the stories in American pop culture of people wanting to go to L.A., wanting to go to New York, etc. And it's the same type of uh, the same type of um, thing would apply, I think, where you really have to think about, well, what is it that you were going to get? Are you going to find yourself? Because this is actually the point of, like, say, a lot of the uh, pop cultural stories, etc. And so you have youth who are going to find themselves. You have, say, people who are, say, in their 30s going to find themselves. You even have, like, people in, say, their, like, 40s or 50s. Isn't, say, uh, the movie Lost in Translation? Wasn't that really what it was about? To be yeah. somewhere different and to be able to find yourself and to understand who you are by being in some place that is unfamiliar and so when you are say younger and you're full of drive or hope and say you pin things on say just the image that you might have uh, japan's a country full of people and the whole thing is you're going to have to learn how to deal with people, wherever it is that you are. And the key things uh, for dealing with people is to be able to read them. And so if you understand that, all right, I want to go to Japan. Why? Well, there's no reason why not. And I will go to Japan. I have the means to, and so I will. That's great. Once you get here, you have to be able to quickly ramp up and understand, you know, well, how do the people who are here interact and how do the people who also came here like me, how do they interact? And so you were asking for this person who is coming here straight out the blank and what are they trying to do? It gets back to some of the other things that I was talking about. Well, you need to meet people. But it's not just about meeting people. When you meet people and you start talking to people Here's one of the things about, um, so branding is one of the things that, that I wind up doing. And so branding is going on whether you like it or not. You are always branding yourself. From the first words that come out of your mouth to the way that you finish up talking to somebody and leave them when you first meet them, that's all a branded experience. You are presenting them with a certain image of yourself. And... If you were doing that, or rather, if you, given the mission that you have given this uh, individual who's come to Japan, and uh, so they, maybe they came on a tourist visa. They have three months. They have three months to figure out how they can stay here longer. Mm. And so that first round in, the main thing is, well, connections, connections, connections you need to meet as many people as possible and you need to learn as much as possible you need to do your research and all of this there is a methodology that is behind it that can help that can be the difference between helping you to succeed in um, making make making opportunity for yourself in uh, in a new place and um and can, in contrast to felling profusely and having nothing but, say, uh, drunken memories, you know, <laughs> across greater Tokyo. Yeah. Uh, I didn't exactly do what I planned to do in Tokyo, but I had a good time. Which that can,
0: <laughs> that can happen that so fast, so easily.
2: Very easily.
0: This is a um, country, uh, yes, yeah, a lot of drinking goes on in this culture, exactly. business-wise and, you know wise.
2: Well, but actually, and but this uh, actually flips it onto another type of thing. Um, so, if you are socializing with people, it usually becomes easier to talk to them, and it also becomes easier to ask for something. And yes. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna repeat this again. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to have an ask, and so the ask doesn't need to be something that is. Uh, very burdensome to uh, the people that are around you. Matter of fact, the ask could be something that is uh, seen as helping out those around you. Uh, in my case, uh, when I meet people, uh, especially uh, younger people, but even people who are, say, uh, my same generation, they, they might even be, say, uh, company owners, executives, etc. One of the things that I always used to tell people uh, when I first meet them, because it happens a lot, uh, especially in the international community, everybody's looking for a job all the time. Mm. And uh, Even if you have a job. Even if you have a job. <laughs> and so I would always tell people, my ask was, hey, if you need me to look at your resume, I'll look at your resume and I'll help you rewrite it. I have more than 3,000 resumes for like people over the past like 10, 15 years. Damn. And... This and, and and so there are different things that come from this. Um, part of this is, well, I have 3,000 people that I know. <laughs> okay. I have 3,000 people that I know across various different industries. Yes. And a lot of these different industries, some are engineering, some are mechanics, some are financial, et cetera. A lot of them are advertising and marketing because that's what I do. Mm. But all of these people together, that helps me understand Tokyo and what's going on in Tokyo. And this was my ask. And so one of the things that I do nowadays, I teach at different universities uh, here in Tokyo. I teach at Temple University. I teach at New York University. Uh, I also teach at uh, UIBS uh, University, uh, which is from Europe. New York University? Uh, Yeah. So New York University has a campus here. NYU has a campus here. I didn't know that. Yeah. Originally, they were in Shinagawa, and now they're in Yurokcho. And uh, Ah. so they're still here, uh, still viable. Uh, They do a lot of, say, custom-made courses for executives. And there are a lot of executives who I've done, say, leadership uh, coaching and leadership executive sessions uh, across, say, IT, uh, digital, um, real estate, et cetera, et cetera. And and this is also very interesting because... um, I started off doing a lot of, say, promotional campaigns, but as I mentioned, I train lots of staff, and so some of the staff I train, they're basically um, basically, like, say, junior-level employees, but nowadays I, I do a lot of executive coaching as well, and so these are global directors uh, for finance, for strategy, and uh, at the end of the day, they're also people And they need sounding boards. They need to be able to figure out how to make their ideas crisper or more clean Mm -hmm. uh, in certain types of uh, context. And so that's one of the things that I just try and uh, work with them on and uh, helping them to level up uh, as professionals. Gotcha.
0: As someone who, you know, who has their own business, um, what, what advice would you give someone who's trying to start a business here and potentially be here long term?
2: Well, I think that a lot of that depends on exactly uh, what your trajectory uh, was or is while you were thinking about doing that. Are you a newcomer who wants to uh, start up in Japan or are you somebody who has already been here for a while who wants to kind of uh, pivot out and uh, do their own thing? There are slightly different uh, methods for each one of those, but it all comes down to uh, one thing that's necessary no matter what country you are in, anywhere in the world. That's your work permit. That's your visa. And so the status of your visa can vary quite a bit. The biggest hurdle that a lot of people who come here say uh, to teach is that sometimes uh, their visa is very limited and, say, the types of activities that they can do. Usually uh, a specialist, uh, say, for humanities is uh, the visa that you want because it allows you to do uh, quite a lot of a variety of things. From that visa, you can usually uh, wind up either getting, say, continuing in that same uh, status or getting, say, a uh, business uh, investor visa, um, other types of people. It is still possible to, say, uh, sponsor yourself as a freelancer And so for more than, say, 15 years, I sponsored myself as a freelancer here in Japan. And so there wasn't a company that was sponsoring me, uh, et cetera. And there are different methodologies to do that. Usually, you should hire a specialist to do this for you. One of the things I try and emphasize to people is to know where your value lies. And normally, your value lies in Being able to do the thing that only you can do, whether it's, say, design, fashion, technology, IT, whatever it might be, your value is not in going to the immigration office. Pay somebody.
0: And on that note, I want to give a special plug to Miho, who I had on the podcast, uh, episode 68. Check that out. She can definitely assist you with um, a lot of legal services. All right. So shout out to Miho.
2: Yeah. And, and so these things about, say, uh, specialized legal services, we were talking about the bureaucracy uh, earlier and how opaque certain aspects of it can be. You don't want to be in that. You do not want to be going there. You should find somebody who has that as their specialty and you should pay them to take care of that for you. Because it detracts from your value in in whatever it is that you are focused on. And so if you are trying to, uh, say, start up a business uh, from abroad, there are many different types of ways you can come into Japan and start up a business. I've been to uh, recently, a lot of my clients happen to involve alcohol. And so I I deal with, say, several different um, brands of whiskeys, cognacs, uh, et cetera. These are hard liquors. But I've also been going out just for, say, uh, industry uh, research and going to different types of, say, uh, wine events, et cetera, uh, wineries from, say, France, uh, Italy, et cetera. And it's very similar to, say, the uh, overall alcohol industry because the first thing that people have to find is, say, an importer. So you have a great, brand, and you need to sell it in the Japanese market. And this is actually very, very um, easily relatable to personal situations. You might be, quote-unquote, the hotness wherever you come from abroad. But here in Japan, People may not know who you are. And so you need somebody to help get you into the market and then help you to meet the right people. That's what an importer and a distributor are in terms of, like, say, manufacturing uh, businesses, the alcohol business, et cetera. And so you need somebody who can, if we start using the right, the uh, similar terms to, say, my industry, we need somebody who is going to activate your brand and get you noticed. We need people who are going to say, engage the channels that you are in. And so when you are first trying to come here to Japan, whether you're as a business with something to sell, or whether you are as an individual, and basically you are selling yourself and your skill set, again, this is where it becomes very important for you to talk to the right people. The flip side of talking to the right people is, you have no idea usually who those people are. This is why it's really important to know how to ask for things. And the initial ask that you have might be very broad and generic. Oh, I'm interested in different events in Tokyo if they're creative. I'd love to meet more creative people. And then you're able to refine your ask depending on the context that you find yourself. And that is actually the secret to getting ahead. Being able to be sociable, to be approachable, and to be able to ask people for things that are going to be of benefit to you, but this is the other flip side of having something to ask, that are going to be of benefit to the other people as well. And this is why when I mentioned the example of, like, say, resumes, hey, everybody needs help with the resume. And, and, so, and so you wind up being able to embed yourself into a community in a certain way. And this is actually relates back to, say, why I teach. Because I like meeting people and I like sharing the knowledge that I have. And what is a better uh, situation than that than, say, uh, teaching these continuing education programs to other professionals here in Tokyo who are trying to level up their game. They're trying to learn more about they might have backgrounds in, say, finance, technology, et cetera. And they're trying to learn about, say, marketing, communications, and advertising. And uh, that gives me a chance to interact with these people. And I made some very good connections from those people in situations like that.
0: And to your point, um this is what I do for the podcast. Actually, I'm, I'm out and about. I'm at different type of events. You know, I've seen you at events um, and I like to mix it up with a lot of different people to share um, different perspectives on a variety of things, professional fields, subcultures, whatever it is. All right. So. That's my secret too, to getting guests. <laughs> yeah, and, it,
2: and, it, and it's really important because, for example, take the whole concept of this podcast. And uh, what number of podcasts are you up to now?
0: Uh, you are number, let's see, 72. 70,
2: 72. That's yes. a lot of work. Exactly. That's a lot of work. And so, but it starts <laughs> out with passion. And this is the other thing that, like, uh, people, when we talk about, say, branding, et cetera, uh, this is a key theme authenticity. How do you define authenticity that, that uh, and say people can relate to, and that usually comes from this passion. And this passion is very similar to a calling. It's something that you'd want to do anyway. Exactly, And so for people who are coming over, especially in creative industries, uh, like uh, that's my background. But what I also uh, understand um, when working with other types of people, whether it's, say, B2B, you know, business to business or B2C, business to consumer is that usually these organizations, these companies and the people in them, they, have, they are very passionate to their type of thing. The other thing that um, comes out of this is that you have to find your right audience. Once you are authentic and once you have a certain type of passion, you're not really worried about communicating to everybody around you. You only want to find that one two maybe three people who are interested in what you have because that's your audience you just don't know where they are this is the this is what society is about this is the human condition and so this is why it is very important to be you but you have to figure out who you are once you know who you are then you will know exactly what to ask for and what you ask for changes Depending on the timing, depending on the context, depending on the situation. And that's what I'd like to say for some of your listeners out there trying to figure out, you know, well, exactly what am I trying to do here at this moment in my life with these people who I happen to be associated with? Where are we all going? Because Mm -hmm. it's not just a personal brand. Your group can have a brand. You can have a collective. Okay? Mm -hmm. You know, that podcast I was talking about earlier, it's not just one person who does it. It's like these two guys. Mm -hmm. And it's because it's these two guys, that collective has a certain type of energy that it brings, and that has contributed to the longevity behind it. It's that type of thing that goes on there. It's everywhere. Branding (laughs) is everywhere.
1: (laughs) Positioning.
2: Positioning is important. It is essential. Exactly.
0: (laughs) All right, man. Uh, We definitely appreciate you for dropping a lot of gems. Um, is there yes, anything sir. else you would like to add?
2: Um, Japan, Tokyo, Japan, happens to be one of the most dynamic, um, culturally dynamic and eclective uh, places um, in the world. And so anybody who comes here, you're not going to lose anything by coming here. And uh, what you stand to gain is a uh, very substantial However, you should really know a little bit more about, say, what the trajectory it is that you are on. When you're young, it kind of doesn't matter. Your trajectory is—it can be anything. That is the beautiful thing about youth. As you start to move up in the decades, your 30s, your 40s, etc., you should have a more refined feel Mm -hmm. for whatever trajectory it is that you are on. Again, this relates back to the ask— in my business I meet a lot of other businesses that are actually interested here in Japan and um, they don't necessarily know what questions to ask. I welcome those inquiries what do you want to know what do you want to know about doing business here in Japan? Are you B2B are you B2 C? Uh, do you have something to sell? Um, are you looking to buy? Uh, there are many different types of context to these uh, situations and I'm always open to that. And so if you're out there listening and you're trying to figure out uh, what your approach might be uh, for Japan or even greater APEC, feel free to get in touch. And that's my ask.
0: Nice. And so awesome. um, shout out your uh, how people can connect with you. And
2: uh, Yes, I have uh, websites. Uh, my company website is uh, www.cd-smp.com. Um, you can also find me on uh LinkedIn. Uh, Ed, if you just put in Ed Thompson, uh, Tokyo, uh, I am sure to pop up on uh LinkedIn. Uh, I have all the things on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, etc.
0: We'll add the links, excuse me, we'll add the links to all your social media plugs, okay?
2: And and that sounds fine, and so yeah, that's all that I would say. And uh, <coughs> and if you are here in Greater Tokyo and you are able to uh come out uh, for the uh classes that I teach at Temple University, New York University, or UIBS. Uh, feel free to sign up on their respective websites. And uh, so these are courses for professionals uh, who are here in Tokyo looking to know more about marketing, uh, communications, and uh, advertising and promotions.
1: Yeah. All right. Mr. Ed? One more question. Uh-oh. I never heard this before. What did you say? A marketing boutique or something? Yes.
2: And so what, what I mean by... What,
1: yeah. What 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 brought that on? Because I, I never thought about marketing and boutique as far as yeah i never thought them being in the same sentence
2: well here's the thing about uh marketing advertising communications and even consulting so my title is marketing consultant and as a marketing consultant and again the name of my company is a concept design but i actually don't do any design work that's not what i do i help people design concepts and so as a boutique you don't necessarily need a large amount of people to do what your specialty is. And so my company basically is my skill set. And so I have a group of uh, partners who I work with, I collaborate with, and we do very unique type of solutions that it's impossible for other larger firms to say do sometimes. I remember one of the things that was an inspiration for me When uh, starting out my business, I was uh, working at another company, and uh, this is like in the late 90s. And I am on a global call, and there is a project on the line that is worth like, say, um, 500,000 U.S. dollars. You know, it's not quite a million, but it's still quite a lot. And uh, we're on a con call, and we're talking to somebody in Hong Kong, and she says... I don't exactly know what's going on with you in the local market, but you were in my critical path, and I need this solved. And this was a concept that I, this is a word that I'd never heard, critical path. And I was like, wow, that sounds kind of serious. And I was talking with our team later, and they were explaining, well, yes, this is a mission-critical project. And this was another concept that, was kind of an mission critical. Well, what what does that mean? Well, if we do not succeed, it is fatal. Are you familiar with the game Mortal Kombat Con- fatality? Finish him, finish him. <laughs> finish him. All right. It, it it's on that level. It's on that level, you know, Scorpion or Raiden or somebody mm. is about to like it, it's about to come down. <laughs> and um and I remember the context of this and it was it was very impressionable because even at larger organizations, the possibility of failure is always there. And so, you want, if you can make yourself essential for success, people always want you around because that means the critical path will always be cleared. That means that things will never get to that mission critical level. And once you realize this as an, a working professional, it changes a lot of different things. And uh, to bring this back to home, when we were talking about, like, say, the uh, country aspect of a lot of different things going on out there, your grandmother never yelled at you when you were a child because you were just acting up. Your grandmother was yelling at you because she knew that your actions were a lot about to lead to say some mission critical incident (laughs) which would interrupt her critical path of returning you back to her children unharmed. (laughs) Yeah. Big. All right. Gotcha. All right. Well thank you. Very much for having me on today. I really appreciate it. This is actually the second time I've been on here. It there is. There are actually some hidden tapes that we have. <laughs> I do not know where they are, <laughs> but you will have to track down the two gentlemen from the podcast to figure out exactly what happened to them. But we do have those yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Very, the first one was very in interesting. It was
0: very interesting. Uh. But yeah. Yeah. It di- didn't make make it to the to the to the air. So to speak. So, so uh, like uh <laughs>
1: Prince's uh unrecorded treasures. Yeah. Yeah. The purple room. The purple room. The purple room. The black tapes. Wait. wait, wait. <laughs> what, what 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 do we call the van?
2: What do we call the van here? The mobile the man mobile, cave.
1: Mobile man cave. The, the
2: mobile man cave. So we we have the tapes uh, you know, like uh Behind the scenes, lost tapes, the lost tapes, the lost <laughs> tapes uh, from from like the the mobile man cave, the great the the um, What what's the word I'm looking for? The it doesn't stand out.
1: It Doesn't stand
2: out uh, um, because I, there were three gray vans here lined up. That's really? why I
1: have it gray.
2: There were three gray vans, and I'm coming out. I'm coming out. Of uh, one of the shops on the, across the street, and I'm like, "Whoa, Scooby Doo time!" <laughs> Hell you know, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> we like blending in. All right, thank all you. All right, Ed. bro. Thank you. Appreciate it was my
2: pleasure you. to be here today. I know you're going to cut out all that bad stuff, but oh, uh, it, no, no, it was
1: it was all good. what makes us
2: raw. All right, thank you. All, all right, peace all right. out. Peace. All right, peace. Thank you for
0: listening to the Roar Urban Mobile Podcast. For more episodes, please visit Rump. Podbeam.com, or you can head straight to google and type in raw urban mobile podcast you can also listen to us on spotify itunes and wherever you can stream or download podcasts